Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting and Power, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, um, which is a Penguin Random House publication, came out last summer, 2015. It's a book I wrote because I wanted to infuse a little common sense into the information women and families receive and the conversations that we have about pregnancy, birth, parenting, and the world of motherhood. So often, the information we read, hear, or see is really polarizing or very absolute or you know, you know, even at odds with what we feel makes sense. And never is that more clear than when we talk about birth issues like, where's the best place to have your baby, home or the hospital? And, you know, of course, there are extremists who get a lot of attention in both camps that say there's only one truly safe location to have your baby or to give birth. Some say that hospitals are too restrictive and do too many interventions and that the best place to have your baby is at home. Others say that home birth is way too dangerous and the only safe place to have a baby is at the hospital. But neither of those opinions are the absolute truth. The truth is that home birth is a safe and valid choice for many women, especially in countries where it's considered normal and measures have been integrated into their healthcare systems um, to protect moms. For instance, when a home birth needs to be transferred to the hospital. The other truth is that hospitals are the best place to be in an emergency, but it's also true that the hospitals, many, many, many hospitals tend to do more non-essential medical interventions that can and do end up causing harm to some mothers. So what's the happy medium? Well, first I want to give you a little bit more information. I'm going to read from the book in chapter two from a section called How to Pick Where You'll Have Your Baby. The statistics indicate that about 99% of you don't really have to pick. You already know where you'll have your baby. Of all American babies, 98.6% are born in hospitals. That's where your doctor or midwife delivers, where your insurance covers you, and where you feel is the safest place to deliver. Plus, hospitals have the epidurals, which many women consider an absolute must. If your decision is made, feel free to skip to the next section. If you want more options or want to understand why some women make other choices, though, read on. You have four choices when deciding where to have your baby. One, at home. Two, in a birth center located outside of and independent of a hospital. Three, in a birth center located inside or adjacent to a hospital. Four, at a hospital in the labor and delivery unit. So we're going to read just a little bit more about at home. The number of women making the home birth choice has been increasing since 2004. For most women who have a home birth, it is a conscious choice. They don't just deliver at home because the baby came too fast. Some choose home birth because it's affordable or it's part of their culture or the closest hospital is too far away. Some are afraid of hospitals or their midwife only delivers at home. Some choose home because it offers privacy, autonomy, intimacy, and freedom, plus fewer medical interventions. Some are worried about the United States rising C-section rate and think their best offer, option for delivering vaginally is with a home birth. In other parts of the world, home birth is fairly common. In the Netherlands, which has some of the best maternal health outcomes in the world, about 23% of mothers deliver at home. In developing countries, 
home birth is extremely common, but so are high maternal mortality rates. In India, for example, more than half of all women deliver at home, but only about half of those women have skilled birth attendants. Consequently, their overall maternal mortality rate is severe, 200 deaths per 100,000 live births. That leads to the number one question most people have about home birth in the United States. Is it safe? That depends on the health of the mother and baby, the skill of the midwife or naturopath, access to a nearby hospital, and a good emergency backup plan. Study results vary regarding its safety, but the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the American Medical Association are against home birth. Childbirth Connection, an independent nonprofit organization that provides up-to-date evidence-based pregnancy, labor, and birth information, disagrees. They say, studies show no evidence that hospital care offers clear safety benefits for low-risk childbearing families. A 2012 Cochrane review concluded that there's no strong evidence from randomized trials to favor either planned hospital birth or planned home birth for low-risk pregnant women. Many doctors and hospital-based midwives view home birth negatively, but that may be partly because their only experience is with the women who wind up in their emergency rooms after their home births have gone terribly wrong. They don't see the majority that turn out normal, healthy, and happy. As a nurse, I understand that perspective, as well as the stress of salvaging a home birth gone awry, especially when a midwife or patient waits too long to come to the hospital for medical care. In cases, like in the Netherlands and some U.S. hospitals, where the emergency transfer from home to hospital is swift, skilled, and compassionate, however, there tends to be less trauma and better outcomes for mothers, babies, and hospital staff. So, is home birth safe? it can be safe for low-risk healthy women. Most women who choose home birth have a very positive experience. It's not a good choice, however, for women with medical problems or elevated risk for childbirth complications. So I'm gonna leave it there, pick up the, the book. Um, the next section is about birth centers, which I think is a really, we gotta talk about that in episodes going forward. So the bottom line question, which is safer? Well, according to a really recent study, published just this last December in the New England Journal of Medicine, doctors Ellen Tilden and Jonathan Snowden found home or uh, birth center, found that home birth or birth center birth was associated with a higher risk of perinatal death. That means death to the baby. While the in-hospital birth setting was associated with a higher risk for cesarean delivery and other obstetric interventions, um, which can be associated with higher risks of death for the mother. So what is it, exactly does that mean? Well, let's get those two researchers on the phone and find out. So today, I have two of the researchers that I mentioned um, just a minute ago on the podcast. Um, Ellen Tilden, PhD, is a certified nurse myth. Oh, my goodness. We're going to start that over because I just called you a certified nerd midwife. <laughs> Both may be true. <laughs> I like both roles. I really do. I love being a nurse midwife, and I love being a nerd midwife, too. Okay. Well, we're going to just roll with it then. Um, okay. <laughs> Ellen's part of the nurse midwifery faculty practice at the Center for Women's Health at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon, my fair city. 
Jonathan Snowden, Ph.D., is an epidemiologist and assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology right up there at Oregon Health Science University in Portland School of Medicine, and um, he is the lead author of the study. So did I get that right? You did. Okay. I would just add that we have a new School of Public Health at OHSU and Portland State University as well, and I'm also affiliated with that. Excellent. And are you guys both just fine being called Ellen and Jonathan, or do we need to go all doctor on us? <laughs> I'm fine with Jonathan. Okay, Ellen, great. Ellen is great. Okay, good, good. All on a first-name basis. So hi to both of you, and thank you both for making the time to come on the show today. And I'd like to start out by reading some of the headlines that came out this past December when the study went live. Um, and I, li- I actually like OHSU's um, headline the best. OHSU's study, oh, and listeners, OHSU is Oregon Health Sciences University. Um, OHSU study sheds light on risks of giving birth in and out of a hospital setting. NPR headlined it, giving birth outside a hospital is a little riskier for the baby. Um, Portland Business Journal says OHSU study finds out-of-hospitals riskier. Boom. Done. <laughs> These, they're all describing the study you participated in. So I thought that we should start right off with um, you guys telling me how this study came to be. Who wants to take so that? I will. Yeah, I will go ahead with that. And then um, I would also love to return to this point of um, headlines and kind of how we summarize our findings and everything. But maybe we can do that in a later moment here. Well, let's, let's go um, with it. Perfect. So um, so our study um, is a result of, well, several years of advocacy and, and regulatory policy work in the state that predates my work here at OHSU in terms of getting this new question added to the birth certificate here in the state, which is really mm. unique here in Oregon. And so folks at Oregon Health Authority and physicians and other provider advocates, community members worked so that we would have this first of its kind question um, on our birth certificate. And what and is the question? What is the question? Yeah, so it documents where um, babies that were born in the hospital um, where their intended place of birth was. So so for the first time, we're able to tell apart um, babies whose mothers had planned to deliver in the hospital and delivered there um, from women who had planned out-of-hospital births, so at home or in a freestanding birth center, and then who transferred into the hospital during labor, say, because a complication arose. So the inability to distinguish these two types of births from each other is really one of the main shortcomings of U.S. vital statistics data. And so once this question was added in 2011, recognizing the really special opportunity that it was, um, I you know, worked with a group of multidisciplinary researchers. So Ellen, who is a certified nurse midwife. Our colleagues also include a registered nurse and two obstetricians, um, and we, you know, obtained the data, analyzed the data, went back and forth a lot between us um, to think about the messaging and, and to really thoughtfully present our findings, um, and that resulted in the paper that was just published. Mm-hmm. So what exactly does the study say? Um, so I'll start with that one. I'll see if Ellen has anything to add when I'm done. Okay. Um, so from my perspective, um, our objective here was to characterize the frequency of a variety of outcomes um, between birth settings. So when we and, say outcomes, you know, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? I know what you're so, talking about, but our, our audience may not know what we're talking about. 
Yeah, let's delve a little deeper into that. So some of them are things like obstetric procedures, so induction of labor or labor augmentation or having a C-section, a cesarean delivery. Mm -hmm. Some of them are morbidity, so harms that occur in the mom and the baby. Say, for example, um, severe perineal tears or having a blood transfusion for a mom or on the baby side, being admitted to the neonatal intensive care unit or, you know, the worst case scenario, which is a perinatal death. And so those were several of the outcomes. We also looked at the outcome um, of having um, an unassisted vaginal delivery, so a vaginal delivery without the use of forceps or vacuum, because that's an important outcome as well. So having identified those as the outcomes, which we could study on the birth certificate and which we thought were relevant, um, we then compared the frequency of those outcomes between birth settings. So like I said, there were a lot of outcomes that we looked at. Um, to summarize the outcomes, I would say that the key findings included that in the hot of hospital birth setting, um, the risk of severe neonatal morbidity or death was slightly but statistically significantly increased. So from a rate of about two per thousand in the hospital to a rate of about four per thousand out of the hospital. So a very rare outcome in all settings and one that was approximately twice as common out of the hospital. On the other hand, we saw that rates of C-section for planned out-of-hospital births were much lower um, at about 5% as compared to women who had planned to deliver in the hospital who had a risk of C-section that was about 25%. Right. So it's a more common outcome overall and one that was um, much reduced in out-of-hospital settings. Okay. So essentially, it's a little bit, a fraction riskier for the baby, but maybe significantly better for the mom. True? Is that true? From an sure. intervention Ellen, perspe perspective? I'm sorry, say that Ellen, again. do you want to? I'm happy to chime in here, but I missed your question. So I guess I'm just sort of surmising here mm -hmm. that it sounds like if, you know, the, sort of the bottom line of the study is that having a um, out-of-hospital birth is a fraction riskier for the baby, but having an in-hospital birth is significantly riskier potentially for the mother. Is that correct? Certainly, that would be one very understandable perspective and takeaway. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, that uh, something that we have thought a lot about with this paper and then have also thought a lot about with how our conversations uh, in, with media um, and uh, related to the paper are the varying perceptions of risk and how how specific that is to an individual. So um, perceptions you know, our, of risk. Yes, perceptions of risk exactly, mm -hmm. and what risk would be considered um, too small or too large. Mm -hmm. So you know, echoing what John just shared, um, that we found that for women who had intended to deliver outside of the hospital, that we had. Um, you know, there was a you know scientifically increased risk of um, the, of the the baby dying, but that the relative risk. So, um, you know, a thousand women deliver out of the hospital, and they would have four babies die versus a thousand women deliver in the hospital, um, and they would have two babies die. So the so the the um, for those thousand women and for those um, their children, the risk is quite small that that, that this, they would experience this bad outcome regardless of where they delivered. Mm -hmm. but I, then, I um, think we don't so emphasize that enough sometimes, you yes. know, and, right. and that sort of gets back to the headline issue, 
you know, the headlines make things so much more alarming than maybe they actually are. It's possible. And I think that, um, let me just, uh, yeah, so I think that um, when it, it, so for some people, from some people's perspective, the, the provider or the woman or the family, that risk may be may seem maybe quite small. And from other people's perspective, they may look at that risk and say, that is that is a bigger risk than I feel comfortable engaging with. Or that mm-hmm. is, to me, the risk of, of, of my baby dying is not comparable. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't, I am not there. I don't care about my risk of a C-section. I'm really focused on the risk for the baby. And other women and families and providers may have a, a completely different perspective, and they may say the risk of a baby dying in any setting is extremely small. So I'm not that worried about it. What I'm really thinking about is the risk of that C-section. Um, so I'll stop there. There's certainly more we could say about what what the risk of a C-section means in a current pregnancy and then in future pregnancies too. Okay. So one thing that I think I know about OHSU's maternity department is that you guys have been um, really actively engaging in the community, in the home birth community, um, specifically to improve outcomes for women who do make that choice. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about that factor in the home to hospital um, discussion. Um, what's happening up at OHSU, and then how do you see this in terms of the rest of the country? Well, Ellen, do you want to start with that one? Sure, absolutely. I, um, I, as a, a provider at OHSU, and having practiced there for about twelve years, I think that there is. Um, definitely um, a lot of goodwill on the part of the nurses and obstetricians and nurse midwives at OHSU, a lot of eagerness to um, make, you know, when when there is an initiation of a transfer from birth center or home into the hospital, to try to make that as smooth and as um, uncomplicated as possible for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't at this point that I'm aware of, and John, please chime in if you've heard of anything. I don't, I'm not aware of any, um, there's not uh, any kind of quality initiative or any kind of, um, you know, um, programmatic change that is making, you know, has identified this as a goal. Um, no, so- I'm talking more about <clears throat> sort of the culture of care. And I remember, mm-hmm. I don't remember now um, which magazine I was writing about, but I mm-hmm. was talking to somebody up at OHSU about, was it the potential for um, offering water births? At, yeah, we, we, we do offer water births and, at OHSU. And when that was sort of a new factor a few years back, mm-hmm. it was sort of um, specifically courting women who would have a home birth because um, that option was really, really attractive to them. So you guys looked at that and said, well, maybe we can offer that here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, well, I'll just speak briefly to that. So I do feel um, that just it, within our nurse midwifery practice there, and we've been here for about 40 years at OHSU, there is, uh, uh, we hold a very high value on supporting physiologic labor and normal birth for healthy women um, in the hospital setting. And I, I personally feel, and I think I reflect my colleagues' perceptions as well, that we have um, a, a very good support for that here, that we have respectful 
um, physician colleagues both in OB and also um, perinatologists as well as support from the nursing staff and administration to practice midwifery in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. So that is a great privilege and something that I um, enjoy having as my own my own practice and our team's practice, but then also being able to offer women in our community that service. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, I, and that may certainly, I think that we in general have fairly positive relationships with folks who are delivering outside of the hospital with providers in, in these other settings. And I hope that that um, friendliness and capacity for communication would translate into smoother transfers when that would, when that was warranted. Yeah. Um, and I think that those kinds of some of, you're, you're touching on some of the things that I feel um, our t- our research team on this paper have um, were have been excited to think of as future directions mm-hmm. um, to explore things because we know that in countries where we see um, decreased risk in all birth settings that um, have the kinds of similar resources to what we have here in the U.S. And I'm thinking specifically of like the Netherlands or the U.K. Oh, yeah. yeah. That there are some of these systems factors, including, um, and, and that may shape, for example, how, how providers in different settings communicate with each other or their understanding of when it would be appropriate perhaps to transfer from one setting to the other, mm-hmm. that those things are much more um, they're much more manifest. They are really um, there's a, there's more of a, a healthcare system that helps people to organize those things. Right. Um, we feel we feel are likely um, important contributors to improving outcomes. Yeah, and and the potential for a home or hospital birth is sort of woven into the fabric of their maternal health care, especially in the you know the top ranking countries in the world for maternal health outcomes, like you mentioned, Norway and Finland and Ireland and you know. Countries that are the their prenatal care system is built on mid- midwifery care. Exactly, exactly, and yeah. you know, it, right. So you, if you were someone who, for example, was really interested in out of hospital birth, and that felt like, um, you know, you wanted more of those options, then then that's certainly an, an element of this healthcare system that should be emphasized. At the same time, these are healthcare systems that have much much clearer boundaries about who is who is delivering in which setting, and more. Uh, my impression is more agreement across the board about when we are saying no to an out of hospital setting, mm-hmm. and that may, you know. Um, and there may be people who feel that those those boundaries are too stringent, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think that that um, uh, yeah, a more robust out of hospital birth birth system. I think the only way that can go forward, um, from my perspective, uh, um, that would be um, improving things overall would also mean having extremely clear guidelines about who who is being offered an out of hospital birth and when when is transfer occurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I think I'll just add that I think that I agree with everything that Ellen just said, and um, and also it's not just limited to maternity care, right? When we talk about the Swedish healthcare system or the Dutch healthcare system, they're really healthcare systems in the sense that we don't have a single centralized or unified health system in this country, right. and nor do the, the sort of patchwork that we have. They're not particularly well integrated across each other. They don't often communicate as well as they could. And we think that um, that's a broader thing. And and we see a very specific example of it in this example of maternity care and of birth setting and birth provider. We just think that by integrating across those settings a bit more and across provider um, credential and type and profession and everything, that we could offer women more real options, you know, about where and with whom 
to deliver, again, as Ellen was saying, within a system and, and within sort of guidelines about what we think are the best, you know, the best risk profile um, for a given birth setting. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, currently we're also segmentalized. You know, there is the home birth community, there's the naturopath community, there's the hospital community, there's the, you know, there, we've got so many different sections, but we haven't really, we're not integrated, as you mentioned, the way they are in many other countries. And and the reasons why are, are long and complicated. Um, one thing, though, that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I did want to touch on is, you know, before I was a writer, I spent a long, long, long time as a labor and delivery nurse. And um, I worked night shift for 10 years. And it was so um, common that in the middle of the night, a home birth patient would transfer in through the emergency room. And, you, you know, you never knew exactly what shape her labor and birth would be in. And the experience was, you know, I'm talking, you know, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, um, really traumatizing all the way around for everyone who was involved, for the, certainly for the poor parents who were frightened and it was such an abrupt transition. Also for the midwife who had been with them at home, who was wondering, you know, just how bad are things going to be? Um, maybe even feeling kind of intimidated um, by going from home to hospital. And then on the medical staff side, we didn't know this patient. We didn't know what shape she was in. You know, we were taking care of virtually a stranger at what could potentially be a really, really risky time. And so it was it was traumatizing for everybody. And I think that <clears throat> sometimes our responses were um, maybe bossier or more authoritarian than they needed to be um, because we needed to get stuff done and we were frightened too. And I know that... You know, I'm, I'm always really proud of hospitals here in Portland because we're kind of cutting edge in changing the conversation. And I know that um, there is a conversation that's going on about, well, hey, we, we all have a role to play at that moment of transfer from home to hospital. What can we all do to make it better for everybody and get better outcomes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeannie, because in our work, the mm -hmm. research, and then mm -hmm. also the conversations around the research with other researchers and with policymakers. And <clears throat> this has really emerged as a key point here is the importance of this intrapartum transfer during labor from the out-of-hospital setting to the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. Just as you said, it, it, it is stressful and it is, um, yeah, potentially traumatic for for the providers and the patients and really everybody involved. And so if we can think when we're talking about integrating across care and mutually um, respectful communication and interdisciplinary collaboration, I think that this moment of intrapartum transfer is really an important site where we can really practice those, um, you know, those, those ideals and, and really fine-tune the system so that um, so that we know what's going on and we can try to optimize outcomes yeah. um, and also you know people's experience of those moments on, on all sides right right yeah I, I feel like we're starting to have enough reflection and insight into this experience from so many different angles that we're actually we're kind of infusing some compassion for everyone into it and potentially making the experience just better it's just better. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I really agree, Jane. I, I really like how you've just said that. And um, it also makes me think about how we could bring those same qualities of compassion um, and uh, to thinking about um, extending compassion and, and the kind of quality of experience to women who are birthing in the hospital as well. Yeah. And how I think our research is something that I have um, it's been such a pleasure to be part of this um, research team and to work on this subject and with this data and to explore the risks and the strengths in each setting because there, there are risks and strengths available in each that I think we can, we can point to. Yeah. And so how could we also use this if we're talking about systems level change, if we're using this maternity care moment to think about um, people's experiences as they birth, um, and the care they receive, you know, could this also be a place where we um, look at factors within, you know, st- ideally standard U.S. hospitals? What are, what options are women um, allowed? How do we support um, women's autonomy um, and their values and um, birthing in ways that are supportive of them in both their their own experience, but also the outcomes that they have um, in in the in hospital setting too? Well, so I feel that like, is sort um, of the other sa- the other side of your study is about yeah it's true yeah yeah well so that's just it i'm glad that, that you said that genie about compassion and that ellen you just made that point because i wanted to follow up on that as well i just think that um to go back to some of the headlines that you mentioned genie mm-hmm. i think that it's hard to talk about this topic of birth setting while only talking about one birth setting right or mm-hmm. or, or one out of hospital sort of group of births, because really what we're talking about is comparison. And so we have to think about the comparison group, which is hospital births. Mm -hmm. And I think also it's hard um, when we're talking about pregnancy and labor and birth. Fundamentally, we're talking about physiologic processes that are not um, pathological disease processes in the sense that some things are, some things that I study as an epidemiologist, birth is is different. Mm -hmm. And so I think it makes sense to think about risks as well as advantages, as well as people's perceptions and experiences of those outcomes. Because um, we can talk about what the risk is or what the relative risk is of this outcome or the other, but in terms of how people integrate across those outcomes and inform their perception of risk and inform their decision, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And and I get that headlines are short, and um, but I just think that that ideally we can think about not just one birth setting and not just about risks. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to actually bring your attention to the Boston Globe did a, 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 an, an article on our study as well a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. And the headline of that was the risks and advantages of giving birth at home, which I think is um, same study, like headline. better headline. <laughs> yeah. And I would just add, if I were writing this myself, the risks and advantages of giving birth at home and at the hospital. Perfect. You know, I think that it's really um, it's about thinking about all sides of, of the picture. I, I actually think that it's probably even more beneficial to focus on the hospital aspect of it because something like, what, almost 99% of American women are going to have their baby in a hospital. A home birth isn't an option for them. Um, And so that is really the experience that we're reflecting on. Yeah. So I kind of want to do a right turn here and and talk about something a little bit different. and then we, we're going to have another opportunity to talk about the story. I uh, did an interview with um, a woman who's on faculty, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Department of Clinical Psychology at Columbia University. It's Dr. Orly Athens. And um, 
She's the founding member of the Sexuality, Women, and Gender Project, and she focuses on women's development across the lifespan, but specifically on the transition to motherhood. And the one thing um, that she's kind of focused on in her research and teaches a lot about is that most of the time, studies that are conducted about maternal health outcomes are actually slanted primarily towards outcomes for babies, not mothers. And in fact, she quoted a stat to me that I thought was really amazing. Um, her own laboratory that she she um, runs on maternal psychology, they did this huge systematic systematic review of something like 70,000 academic articles um, over 20 years, 92 to 2012, covering all kinds of medical and social science professions. And on average, only 1% to 3% of articles focused on anything at all related to the maternal experience. And of that 1% to 3%, more than 50% looked solely at the child outcomes or psychopathology or both. What do you think of those stats? <laughs> it's all about the baby. It's all I mean, about the baby. Unfortunately, I'm not surprised by those statistics. I, um, I don't disagree with her point. Uh -huh. um, to use one really concrete example from epidemiology, much of epidemiologic research of the past 30 years has gone into documenting low birth weight and preterm birth and how these outcomes predict infant death and predict so much about a child over the life course and that early stage of their life and later. And really, it's only in the last five, 10 years that research, and it's still sparse from my perspective, has documented the impact of these outcomes on a mother's long-term health. Mm -hmm. Because if we think of pregnancy, it's many things, but among other things is this sort of unique physiologic um, state uh, that that is different from the baseline non-pregnant state uh, of that woman. Um, it also Pregnancy and outcomes for mom and for baby and during labor and birth can provide a, win to, a window rather into a woman's future health. And so now we're seeing studies that demonstrate that women who have babies with low birth weight are likelier in the long run to have um, increased risk of things like diabetes in their own health. And so I think that um, we have a lot, a long ways to go in terms of characterizing maternal outcomes mm -hmm. um, of pregnancy, childbirth in the short term and the long run. I think it's a really important area of research. It, I think so too. I'm fascinated by this. And, you know, I'm kind of pretty well steeped in the world of maternal health research, but that really opened my eyes to look at research a different way. You know, she talked about how you know, all of our National Institute of Health funding is, it's all geared when you're looking at maternal health towards the baby too. And, you know, we're just starting this huge national conversation, or it's actually a global conversation about how to improve outcomes for mothers. And for a long, long time, the answer to that question, too often, both on a patient um, level and on a systems level is, it's all about a healthy baby. But it's yes, not, I, I, actually. Sorry, it's not. There's a mom in that equation, and she's a valuable human being as well. Yes, I couldn't agree more, and I just want to piggyback on here a little bit as well. Pardon me for interrupting, Jeannie. I didn't mean to. No, go for it. Finish your sentence. Um, but I, um, I find myself thinking about a couple of things. I mean, one is that, first, first is that, you know, NIH is starting, I think, to fund some just maternal-focused questions, and I'm... I have funding from NIH to look at questions that are um, very focused on um, women's experiences of the, pregnancy. The group prenatal care, right? 
That's right. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I hope to grow that and hope to be developing more understanding that we can use for putting in, um, you know, advocating for future funding to understand better um, women's experiences during pregnancy and how that may be impacting um, both outcomes, but also their experiences of pregnancy and the early postpartum. So I, I'm so glad that this is getting called out as an area where we need more science. Um, um, and I, I, I find myself also thinking about the, what kind of data sets are available. I mean, we as, you know, just putting on the researcher hat here, which would be the nerd midwife hat, by the way, <laughs> just to clarify. Um, you know, certified and, and nerd midwife. Certified nerd midwife, thank you. That's right. So, uh, yeah, there, you know, when we look at those birth certificate and death certificate data, what we have available right now on from, you know, this like national vital statistics data on a national level or state level, it is very focused. It's birth certificate data, so it's very focused on, on the, the neonate and the baby. So it, I, um, it, and that's just one of many data sets, so I don't mean to be, I think one of many data sets where that is, those kinds of decisions were made, you know, um, you know, in ways that are really separate from the research. And so the researcher is, um, when you want to look at things like very rare outcomes, thankfully they're rare, like a, a, a baby really in trouble or a mother really in trouble, mm -hmm. um, it is not always easy to get the information you would want at the, at the kind of the powered in the way that you would want from, from many of the data sets that are out there. Well, you guys are coming down on the right side of research history because your study is um, it's about the mamas too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm happy yep. about that. Yeah. So um, just a couple other things I wanted to ask you. Um, what do you want to see in hospitals you know, across the country nationally? Um, what do you want to see hospitals do to address poor maternal mortality and morbidity statistics? And and what's kind of um, disappointing to me is the fact that we really are only looking at maternal health outcomes because our maternal mortality um, rates started climbing. And, you know, you don't that's what it took to get people to go, uh-oh, we got to look at the mamas too. Um, how do you, what do you guys want to see happen to address maternal mortality and morbidity statistics? Well, I'll, I'll start there, John, briefly, and then see if you have want to chime in. Is that okay? Yep. Okay, so I... Um, I, I'm not sure that we know yet, actually, Jeannie, what we what we need to be, because um, I think what we what we what we are seeing from the work of people such as Elliot Maine, who's been looking at maternal mortality, um, is that we're starting we're seeing some we are beginning to get some understanding about where where the associations are, like who is at risk and what are some of the circumstances that have put that that woman at, or that mother at risk. Um, and so I think we're very early on in building building knowledge about what what might be modified potentially. So I, I think it's too early, in my opinion, to hazard a guess on what that would be. But I think that we need to continue building the science that would help us understand better what we could change. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that said, I certainly I so my my clinical expertise would give me impressions and understanding and thoughts about what we might do to improve the, the quality of the experience a woman has in the hospital, for example. But I don't know that we can speak really yet to 
maternal mortality specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and John, I don't know if you want to jump in here about your thoughts. Yeah, I'll offer some. I agree with what you said, and I'll offer some additional points here. <clears throat> and Jeannie, I think that Ellen's right that it's not um, that unfortunately where we're at in the research, we need even more research to know what the levers are, mm -hmm. how we actually um, improve these outcomes. You know, we've seen this alarming call, um, this alarming increase in mat maternal mortality, as you said, which is mm -hmm. a call to action. And now we really need to figure out. Now, I'll say this, though, that um, certainly there are multiple levers and this problem is multifactorial, and it's not going to be one sort of smoking gun. Mm -hmm. I think that um, some of the factors that we know contribute to maternal mortality um, have to do with population health, mm -hmm. the health of um, you know that women bring to their pregnancies in this country, which has changed in the past 20 years, mm -hmm. as our population health broadly has changed, right? There are more pre-existing morbidities and, mm -hmm. and conditions, things mm -hmm. like diabetes and hypertension, which... Um, women bring to their pregnancies, which increase risk for all sorts of things. Um, also, we, we should talk here, and so that's an example of a factor that really is sort of arguably outside of the hospital setting, that, that is more of a public health question. Mm -hmm. Within the hospital setting, I think we also have to talk about obstetric procedures. So um, Ellen alluded a bit earlier to some of the risks of cesarean delivery, and I think that, um, you know, the research that I've I've seen and that I've conducted indicates that indeed, in the long run, um, especially if a woman is going to have many babies, that that first cesarean delivery is associated with adverse outcomes uh, right. over a woman's life, right? right. Uh, because it increases the risk for things like an unusual placental attachment to her uterus, which in turn increases the risk of things like um, a severe hemorrhage after birth, bleeding, um, which is itself the number one risk factor for maternal death. Yeah. So, so that's another factor. Yeah, and, it's and complicated. Thing, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to. Yeah. There are so many layers to it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, one area that I think that um, that is promising, but which we need more research on as well, is things that can happen at the labor and delivery unit. So, at the hospital unit, um, to 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 figure out how when. Um, emergencies are happening or when a, a woman's condition is deteriorating, how we can identify that, how we can intervene, and how we can prevent, you know, this ultimate catastrophic outcome from occurring. Because mm -hmm. it seems that um, when we do case reviews of maternal mortality and we see what's what's causing it, oftentimes it's not just one thing, right? It's sort of a cascade of action. Sure. It's a sequence of events, and then a distraction happens because focus is on some other thing that is happening. And so I think that calls for us to think about um, if it's like the Swiss cheese model, you know, and somebody is sort of falling through multiple holes, mm -hmm. we need to figure out what some of the um, things we can do to plug some of those holes are to prevent this outcome. Well, I sense a future episode in the works here. We've got so much <laughs> more to talk about there. So. Yeah. We're coming um, pretty close to the end of our time together, but I wanted to give you guys both a chance to um, just tell our listeners what else you want them to know about the study. Or do you think we nailed it? You know, from my perspective, a lot of um, my main kind of um, goals to discuss the results have been met. I mean, I think I would just leave again with the um, – with the conclusion for me is that no birth setting is risk-free. Mm -hmm. All of them have their own associated risks and benefits, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so with this study, it's our goal to characterize what some of those risks are, to use better and, and more fine-grained data to provide um, really up-to-date and really accurate information um, to women and families and providers and hospital administrators and policymakers mm -hmm. so that folks can just have the most current information as they go into the decision-making process. 
process right. because we see the choice of where to deliver and what kind of care a woman and a family wants during labor as being a very specific individual and personal choice. Mm-hmm. And so as researchers, we aim to enable that choice, you know, to provide the best possible information. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And I, I think we've touched on many of the things that I feel and I know our team feels are really um, important about the study itself and then how we imagine it might be used or it could be complement with or, you know, um, be a place where other research will build from as we develop our, refine our understanding about the strengths and then the risks in each setting. And then just, I, I, I think we really hope that 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 information as it evolves is going to be useful for people in all settings to identify, um, for example, you know, if we see that the risk really persists in out-of-hospital settings for babies, what could be done to improve that risk? How, how, can, we, how can we be ready to transfer more rapidly or what, what needs to be identified um, or should, you know, uh, to, to initiate that transfer? And then for folks in the hospital, what, how, what can we be doing in the hospital to, to more appropriately care for healthy women so that they're really optimizing their outcomes and also optimizing, again, the, the people that you had identified so nicely about where is the woman in this? How can mm-hmm. we better understand what women, what really supports women's processes um, in the hospital, uh, as that's where most people are going to be, um, and and then also the outcomes. Well said. Well said. So essentially, the study is a starting point to be continued. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. agree. This is where the podcast gets personal. Um, I don't know if you guys are parents, either one of you, but I generally like to end my podcast by asking the question of where are you in your life as a mom? But Jonathan, you're actually the first guy I've ever had on my podcast. So now I'm going to rephrase this question. I like it. Yeah. So I'll start with you, Jonathan. Where are you in your relationship to motherhood? (laughs) To motherhood. I'm in awe of motherhood. Um, I consider it such a privilege and an honor to, um, as an epidemiologist, to study um, motherhood and pregnancy and parenting. And in my personal life, I am eager to embark on that journey as well. And um, not there yet, but I see that in my near future for me. Oh, fun. Yeah. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Ellen, how about you? And, and, and you want me to comment on my relationship to motherhood, is that right? Or just speak a little bit about myself as a mother? It's up to you. You get to answer it okay. however you want to. So generally, right. well, I, ask, I ask women yeah. who are mothers. Um, actually, yeah. I, I, asked, I started asking this question of women who were moms. You know, mm-hmm. where are you in your life as a mom? But as mm-hmm. a woman that I know who doesn't have children said, well, I've got a life as a mom too. It's my relationship mm-hmm. to my mother. And it's my relationship to potentially myself as a future mother. So I'm trying to ask that question, get people to comment on their own relationship to motherhood in any way they want. Great. I, well, I love, thank you for clarifying that. I, um, I, I am in a great place in my relationship to motherhood. I have a lot of gratitude um, in that um, part of my life. I am, I am a mother. I have a, a, a lovely boy who is 11 and a, a lovely girl who's five and um, um, had very different experiences in how they um, in begin becoming a mother to each of them. 
both of which were complicated and positive and memories that I really cherish um, and also um, have a very strong mother in my life who is um, a, a fierce mama bear, as my brother and I call her, <laughs> and um, uh, is always uh, is just a, a great role model for me in terms of um, being a very present and very loving mother while also being out in the world and very, being very um, driven to contribute bro- to broadly to a community in her her area of, of expertise. So I'll stop there, but I um, am grateful for all of those roles. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast today and talking about such important and vital information. And shout out to Oregon Health Sciences University. You guys rock. I'm really grateful that I'm in the same community as you guys. So we'll say goodbye here, and I bet we'll be talking again. I look forward to it. Sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this, Mama said. Today's guests were Drs. Ellen Tilden, Certified Nurse Midwife and PhD, and Dr. Jonathan Snowden, PhD and Epidemiologist. They're both up at Oregon Health and Sciences University, and you can check out their web pages on the Oregon Health and Sciences University website. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Power podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can learn more about me and my work at genefaulkner.com. Pick up a copy of Common Sense Pregnancy on Amazon.com or your local bookstore. Email me with questions, gene at genefaulkner.com, and please subscribe to the podcast, share it, and help me keep this conversation going. Days like this, my mama said.